Well, Bethel Gary, it is good to be with you again, um, gathering virtually. Uh, looking forward to uh, next week when we will gather together. Uh, hopefully you have received a phone call and uh, was able to RSVP um, as we open the church building once again. I don't know about you, but I am excited uh, to be amongst brothers and sisters in our space again, worshiping the Lord and celebrating his goodness and all that he has done. I pray that you are encouraged by that. If you have not received a phone call, please reach out to us. We want to make sure uh, that you have a spot in our service. We are going to try um, to uh, make some kind of live service available for you. So look forward to uh, joining us uh, virtually on the Bethel Gary page. If uh, uh, you're not able to attend or um, choosing to stay home, no judgment in that, um, but we still want you to be able to tune in. Our service is going to air at 10 o'clock um, instead of 2 o'clock, so we will be switching over. We will not have a 2 p.m. Uh, service starting, remember this, starting July, uh, I'm sorry, June 21st, we'll no longer have a 2 p.m. service online. It will go to 10 a.m., uh, but you do have the option to uh, come to service in person. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your grace and your mercy and your steadfast love and your goodness. Father, we pray right now that you would anoint this service, that your Holy Spirit would guide this service. Father, that you would draw us deeper into you. You would cause our hearts to open like flowers and to receive the light of the sun. Father, that we may grow and blossom in the goodness of who you are. Will you be with your people? Would you move in their hearts? And would you use your preacher to do your will? I ask this in Jesus' name. And everybody online, hit that hard button and type amen. Go ahead and type that right now. Tell somebody what's up um, in the comments so that they know that you are with us. Well, Bethel Gary, we tried it. Yes, we did. We took a swing at it. Paige and I started on our efforts to plant our own flowers. We went to the store with Angie to shop for flowers. Uh, uh, don't go with her because she makes you do more than what you need to. She literally had us go down every aisle at the Johnson Farm and look at every single flower. Yeah, I was done. I had my mind made up on what flowers I wanted after I walked down the first two aisles. But nevertheless, I was amazed by the creativity of God. Go and take a trip at the flower store and just look and, 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 and wonder at how great God is. I honestly do not know if I enjoy gardening, though. Not going to lie, not sure if this is going to be my thing. However, there is much to learn from planting plants. There is much to learn from planting plants. The, the, believe it or not, the plants started preaching to me. Yes, uh, planting the plants, and the plants said, hey, preacher, I want to talk to you. I got something to say to you. I said, you can't be talking to me. You're an inanimate object. It's impossible for you to talk to me. They said, yes, we are. We are to it. We're preaching to you, and you need to, to hear it. I said, well, go ahead, plant then. Plants, go ahead and talk then. I was amazed how you could take a plant from one place and plant it in another place, and it survived. 
The plant said, preacher, didn't you realize that you took me out of the store and you took me to your house and I'm not dead? I said, well, that's something. The plant said, I want you to look a little bit further. Although I didn't remain in the store, it, didn't say, it, wasn't, it wasn't the store was the reason that I was surviving. It was because I was in the dirt that I was surviving. Let me say it again. It is not that it, my, my survival was not contingent on me being in the store. It was contingent on me being in the dirt. And although I was in the store, while I was in the store, I was in the dirt. And as long as I remain in the dirt, preacher, I can survive. I said, amen, hallelujah. Talk to me now, plant. I think that you're going somewhere. I'm with you, plant. He says, as long as I'm in the dirt, preacher, I can survive. I had to look around, make sure that, you know, people, my wife didn't think I was crazy talking to this plant. I believe the same is true for the believer. You can put us anywhere and we will survive as long as we are in Jesus. It's not what circumstance we are in that will cause us to survive, but who we are in that will cause us to survive. Did your basement flood this week? You can survive. Did you lose something this week? You can survive. Did your job cut your hours or lay you off because of COVID-19? You can survive. Have, have you not been able to hold and hug your grandbabies? You can survive. Are you tired of injustice in this country? You can survive. Are, 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 are you crying out, how long, oh Lord, until you deliver us? How, how long, God, until, until my circumstances change? How long, oh God, I don't feel like I can make it. I don't know if I'm going to survive. Can, can I say it this way? I can't breathe. I, I, I feel as if, as if some circumstances are so trying and so difficult and so beyond my human strength. I don't know if I can survive. And maybe you're in a difficult circumstance and you're wondering if you can survive. Friends, I want to tell you that you can survive. But maybe you're not in a bad circumstance. Maybe, maybe, maybe you're in a good circumstance. Uh, your blood pressure is normal. Uh, you never broke a bone. Your, your baby mama, she cool with you. Lungs work perfect. Well, I, mean, I mean, what is your circumstance? It, it doesn't matter what you're in. It only matters who you're in. Let me say it again. It doesn't matter what you're in. It matters who's you're in. This is what Paul is getting at in our text today. He teaches us the art of contentment, the art of contentment. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. Come on, Paul. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, rather living in plenty or in want. I can do all things through him who gives me strength. We need to understand these verses have been misinterpreted in many ways, church. These verses have been taken out of context, if you will, and applied in ways, can I put it this way, not so pleasing to God. 
I plan to address some of these common American church cultural beliefs that have, that, that have been used to misinterpret this text. Now, some of you might squirm and fight, but at some point, we have to make a choice on will we allow the Bible to correct, mis- misinform teaching. Before you come to a conclusion on Scripture, ask yourself this question. Before, before you come to a conclusion, ask yourself this question. Have I done any observation? Okay, you, okay, 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 you didn't, uh, you, you weren't with me. You, you, you didn't understand me. I'm, I'm going to put it in a way that you can understand. Have you even opened up the Bible and looked at the verse and what surrounds it? I mean, have you done that? There's so many people who want to give their opinion about a verse or give their interpretation of a verse, and they haven't even studied the verse. They, they haven't even read the verse. They heard it from a preacher. They uh, seen it on Facebook, and all of a sudden they took that as true. I want you to do us a favor. If you haven't studied a verse, if you haven't read a verse, do us a favor. Be quiet, please. Go look at the book and ask yourself, what does it say? Not what do I say or my favorite preacher. Look at the book. One of the most misused verses in life, and and one of the most misused verses in life is that verse in Proverbs. The power of life and death is in the power of the tongue. I kind of paraphrase it, but here's the point. We need to stop using that verse to make us like God. Once weeds get into people's garden, it's hard to uproot them. Once people get bad teaching down in their souls and they, and, they, and they take it into their belief system, it is hard to uproot it. Two things are important in observation, reading and the Holy Spirit. Please don't forget the Holy Spirit. You cannot understand the Word of God without the Holy Spirit. Next, interpretation. What does it mean? In biblical interpretation, you are seeking to place yourself in the writer's sandals, setting aside any preconceived ideas with the ultimate goal being to understand the writer's original intent and God's intent, which sometimes goes beyond even the understanding of the human writer. Two things are super important when it comes to interpretation. Context and the Holy Spirit. Lastly, when we're studying the Bible, we want application. The dictionary defines application as the act of putting to use or putting into operation, especially from some practical purpose. It is the act of bringing something to bear, using it for a particular purpose. We call it orthodoxy and orthopraxy, or another way to put it, walk it like I talk it. It is the work of applying something. Two things are important when it comes to application, a renewed mind and the Holy Spirit. In other words, after we got correct interpretation and the Bible has persuaded our minds, it takes the Holy Spirit to get it down in our hearts and then give us the power to live it out. You need the Holy Spirit. But why were these verses today, why were they written? We want to look at the context. Well, background and context help us to understand why. 
writing from prison where he faces death for the sake of Christ, the apostle tells, tells how, as a believer, he has, he, he has formed the habit of feeling contented. But some might question the sincerity of Paul's contentment, but why? Paul is writing these verses because a very generous gift uh, was given to him from the church of Philippi and arrived in this time of need. So Paul is in need, and then he gets a gift from the church of Philippi. It arrives while he's in prison. He's planted in prison. Paul wants to make sure there is no misunderstanding of his motives. Why? Because the verse before, he rejoices over their generosity. Watch this. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. Revive your concern for me. You, you are indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. He is concerned that some might misunderstand his pure motive in rejoicing over their gift. They might say these preachers are all alike. They all are concerned, all they're concerned about is money. See how excited Paul got when he received this gift? Paul knows that people are going to question. You know how people are towards preachers even today. They believe that all preachers are in it for money and gain. And so Paul wants to make sure that he clears that up, that, that, that I'm not doing ministry. I'm not following Christ. I'm not sacrificing my life. I'm not enduring prison because my motive is to get rich or to get money. No, that's not why. And I'm not rejoicing over your gift because deep down inside I want money. Therefore, Paul writes about his contentment in Christ. Paul says, I'm going to tell you just how content I am in Christ. Whether you gave me a gift or you didn't give me a gift. Watch this. He says, I'm not saying this because I am in need, for I have learned to be content whatever the circumstance. Paul has dropped a word that is foreign to American culture. It is a word we don't hear too often. No, we don't hear it. Most Americans are allergic to it. Contentment. What does that word mean? It means to be satisfied or pleased. When was the last time you can say you were satisfied or pleased? What does it look like? After you eat a good meal, you are satisfied, full, and if it's good, you are pleased because some, some, some meals ain't too pleasing uh, or they, or they, uh, and, and they not good. Now, you can endure it and eat it and be satisfied, but you're not pleased. And please don't give me no nasty food. Y'all who are watching have seen me eat and, and tasted something nasty. I, I, got, I just got to admit, sometimes I got to repent because I be upset. I, I don't like my food to be messed up. Paul is saying he is both satisfied and pleased in all circumstances. He is both satisfied and pleased in all circumstances. Hold on. Pause for a moment. Let that sit. Pleased and satisfied in all circumstances. Don't let that zoom pass you. Paul is pleased and satisfied in all circumstances. And the question comes to our mind, church, how? 
Even now, as you consider some of the circumstances and situations you are in right now, the question that you ask is how? We should ask this question of Paul. Are you a person who is constantly wishing for more, for something better, or for something different? Are you rarely satisfied or content with life? You need to ask Paul, how, man, how in the world are you, are you pleased and satisfied in all circumstances? Because many of us, if not all of us, are chasing contentment, trying to chase uh, satisfaction, trying to uh, chase being pleased, trying to chase being content. And it seems no matter how hard I try, I fall short. And Paul is telling us that he has found the secret. We want to be satisfied and pleased in life. We see in Scripture contentment was a jewel to be prized and pursued. And Paul says, hey, yo, hey, homie, hey, young lady, you right there with the heels and, 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 and the natural and, and the natural hair. Yes, you, you over there with the skinny jeans on. Yes, you, I'm talking, yeah, I'm talking to you with the fitty cap on. Yes, hey, I found contentment. I, 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 I know where it is. Paul says, I have discovered it. And how do you become content, Paul? Well, first, let me tell you how you don't. I understand Paul is not in, into the positive confession. He's not into good vibes as a means to being content. He's not into where you deny your situation or you say, don't speak that. Paul is not into denying or lying about his situation. Paul is not denying and lying that he's in jail. He's not denying and lying that, that he is in need. Paul had many physical and financial needs, which we will see in a moment. But he wanted them to grasp that he was not speaking of destitution. Many of us think we have discovered contentment through positive confession, good vibes, astrology, and denying our circumstances. Now, I know some of y'all are like, Pastor tripping now on that, that part. We're just going to ignore that part of the sermon. No, look at the verse. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. Paul is like, yes, I'm in prison, and everybody knows about it. Church, I want to press us. I want to push us past this, this superficial, artificial, inauthentic contentment where we ignore and, 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 and send out positive vibes and, and, and positive confession as a means to being content. I want to press you past that. You say, why, pastor? Because I want, I want you to get to Jesus. And if you stop at positive confessions, you think that you got to ignore your situation in order, to, in order to rejoice. But there's a Jesus that is big enough and strong enough to, to, to acknowledge that hurt and pain is real, that difficult situations exist, but yet he's strong enough to keep you while you're in them and you're not going to get there if you just do positive vibes instead of going deeper into knowing him. We don't have to deny our situation. We just, need to, we just don't need to magnify our situation. Magnify the Lord in your situation. Let me say that again. 
We don't, we don't have to deny our situation. We just need to magnify. We, we just need not magnify our situation. Magnify the Lord in your situations. Christians have to stop denying and lying and start relying. Let me say that again. Christians have to stop denying and lying and start relying. In fact, a prophet is said to be, to be ill in this book. One of Paul's partners, he's actually sick in this book. Paul doesn't deny his sickness. Paul doesn't deny that. He doesn't, he doesn't, he doesn't tell a prophet, don't speak that over your life. He doesn't say that. He acknowledges his sickness. Watson says, a contented Christian is more than passive. He doubt not only bear the cross, but takes up the cross. This is why Paul can be sorrowful yet always rejoicing. This is why Paul can be content in his suffering even when they are so difficult. He doesn't just say the will of the Lord be done. He says rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. We don't magnify God by denying our situation we magnify God when we rejoice in spite of our situation. Oh, that's good right there. That'll, that'll preach right there. Let me say it again. We don't magnify God. We don't glorify God by denying our situation. We magnify God when we rejoice in spite of our situation. Oh, I wish I had a church right now. Some people that knew what it, what it was to rejoice in the Lord, even when you look around, there ain't no reason to rejoice. When you look at your bank account, there's no reason to rejoice. When you look at your car situation, there's no reason to rejoice. When you look at your job situation, there's no reason to rejoice. When you look at the news, there's no reason to rejoice. But because you got a relationship with Jesus and you know that all things work together for the good of those who love him, you've decided in spite of your situation, in spite of your circumstance, you're going to give him the glory. You're going to give him the praise. You're going to give him the honor. You're going to open up your mouth and rejoice because God is good despite of the situation. And when we do that, we magnify him. How? Because we're telling the world that there's a joy that they cannot give us, that there's a peace that they cannot give us. There's a gratitude that they cannot give us because our peace and our joy and our goodness is found in a God who's unmovable, unshakable, unchangeable. But let me slow down because I'm getting to the end of my message already. Contentment is not contingent on circumstances. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed, or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Notice that Paul said he learned contentment. Don't let that pass you by. I want you to look at that real good. He said that he learned contentment, which means that Paul had to go to school to learn contentment. He had to go to the school of the hard knocks in order to learn uh, contentment, friends. Contentment does not come naturally. It, it, it takes time uh, to learn it. Uh, how long did it take Paul to learn this? Paul had been a Christian for over 30 years, and, and uh, before he made this statement that he discovered contentment. I don't want that to pass you by, but, but, but friends, it took him 30 years. 
It took him 30 years to get here where his circumstances no longer defined his joy. It took him 30 years to get to the place where where, where his circumstances did not measure how loud he would shout on Sunday morning. It took him some time, friends. It took him 30 years to realize that, that though the wind may blow and the waves may rise, that, 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 that God is going to get me through this one way or another. It took him 30 years to know that though, though when I open up the fridge and there's no food in there, there's still a God in here. Oh, it took him 30 years, friends. And, and, and so, so don't beat yourself up up this morning if you're not where Paul is. It took years for him to come to the divine viewpoint about contentment in all circumstances. How many trials before he got there? How, how many prayers before he got there? How many mad at God moments did he have before he got there? How many trying this and that to satisfy before he got to this place? It took him 30 years. He learned to be content with nothing in the realm of physical need, it is against all human nature to, to be content with very little in life. We see this in Timothy. But godliness with contentment is great gain. Look at that. Godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world and we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with that. People who want to get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into foolish and harmful desires that plunge man into ruins and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people eager for money have wandered from faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Friends, contentment is important because contentment can save your life. He learned how to be content when, when he was well fed and when, he had, and when he had plenty. Now, this is good because Paul said that he actually had to learn how to be content when he had plenty. Mm, that's good. Why, why, should you, why would you need to learn contentment? in good circumstances. Because just because you are full or have plenty doesn't equal contentment. It is as if Paul is arguing that having more than enough is not enough. Contentment is not a matter of what I have and don't have. If it was Paul would need to learn contentment in plenty. Contentment doesn't come from the outside in. It comes from the inside out. Things cannot make us content. Things can't fill you up and make you satisfied no more than opening up your mouth for a stomach full of air to take away your hunger. Uh, that's, that's what happens when we chase out the riches and we chase out the good circumstances and we think that they will bring us joy and, they, and we think that they will bring us contentment. It is like you thinking opening up your mouth for a stomach full of air is going to take away your hunger. It does not work. You think when you get to the top, the hunger will stop. You think that when, when you're the man that it will stop, but ask the eagle. A man once saw a bald eagle soaring in circles. The circles began to tighten. The man looked over to see a weasel, and suddenly the eagle dropped out of the sky like a jet and caught the weasel in its talons. Amazingly, the eagle began to fly away, and the weasel began to eat away at the breast of the eagle. The man watched as the weasel tore away at the eagle snapping its bones and chewing its flesh. He watched the eagle fall up and crash, and the weasel went on with its day. Getting what you want 
does not always work out the way you think it will. Sometimes the things we want will ruin us. Riches without contentment doesn't satisfy us, but instead eat away at us. Paul says he knew the feeling of being humble through poverty. Paul does not condemn poverty as though it were some great social evil. There's no sin in being broke. Often God uses circumstances to teach us contentment or, or, complete, or, or, or complete us. God uses these hard circumstances when we have little so that we learn to depend on God. Some of the best things that happened to you in your suffering. You became a better you through suffering. God has called you to grow in leaps and bounds through suffering. And Paul has learned to lean into his suffering. He's learned to embrace his suffering. He's learned to be okay with his suffering. He's, long, he's learned to, to live with suffering. He learned that suffering is not an enemy. Instead, suffering is used by God to bring about things that God needs to see in the inside of us, things that God wants to see in the inside of us. And so Paul says that he's learned to be content. He's learned to be content in a pandemic and out of a pandemic. Paul would be content. You say he never faced the coronavirus, though. You're right. He's facing death, though. The very reason we are afraid of the Rona, contentment is contingent on Christ. Now, Paul reveals to us the source of his contentment or self-sufficiency. That source is Jesus Christ. Christ becomes a fountain of infinite strength, enabling, enabling him to cope with the various situations of life. This is why he say, I can do all things through him who gives me strength. Friends, Jesus is a fountain that never runs dry. He's a God that never runs short of power. He's a God that never runs short of what we need. God, Jesus, is, is, is a fountain of, of, if I can say it this way, enableness. I don't know if that sounded good or not. That's not a word, but, but I'll say it again, enableness. That Jesus enables us to keep going. Contentment is a self-sufficiency where one has independence over external circumstances. Let me say it again. Contentment is a self-sufficiency where one has independence over external circumstances. Can you imagine being steady and unmovable in each and every circumstance? Can you imagine that for a moment? That no matter what came your way, no matter how the wind blew, no matter how the waves rise, no matter what came your way, you were unmovable. That your peace remained. That stress didn't take over. That frustration didn't take over. But you remained steady and rooted. What would you pay to have that? Well, you don't have to pay anything because Christ paid for it. When he went to Calvary, he went to stop our longing and wondering. He went to stop us from chasing after the wind. This is what Jesus did on the cross because apart from God, we were wondering. We were looking everywhere. We couldn't have a relationship with God. We were hungry and we were thirsty and Jesus came to satisfy us. This is why in the Bible he calls himself the bread of life because he feels us. This is why he calls himself the living water because he satisfies our thirst in Jesus 
came so that you and I will no longer wonder or look for hope out there anymore. Our hearts become content when we realize Jesus is the man. Our contentment starts from the inside out. You don't need to get in church more than you need to get in God. Name me one sermon Jesus preached where he wasn't pointing to our need of him. Name me one sermon. Name me one miracle that he did that was not pointing to him. Because Jesus understood this. That it's not religion that you need. It is not wonderful circumstances that you need. It is not money in your bank account. In your bank account is what you need. Jesus knew that it was not clothes that you needed. That it was not food that you ultimately needed. What Jesus understood is that people needed him. This is why he came. This is what we see in Peter. He came to bring us back to God. You and I need God. Ask the woman at the well. Ask Nicodemus. Ask Mary. Ask Martha. Ask Lazarus. Ask the woman who touched his cloak. Ask the blind man on the side of the road. To, uh, ask them and, and see what they'll say. They'll say that we needed Jesus. You say, but God puts me in very hard situations far beyond what I can bear. And I have to do what I have to do. What I love about God is this, friends, is God knows when and what circumstances to put us in. God knows when and what circumstances to put you in. Yeah, I'm talking to you that's watching me right now. God knows when and what circumstances to put you in. Here's what the Bible says. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability, but with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. When Paige and I went plant shopping, we had to read the labels to see what plants would survive in certain spots around the house. You had the sun plants and the partial sun plants. As the gardener, we had to know in what situation could a plant survive or not. Well, there is a better gardener, friends. God knows when and where to plant you. He knows how much sunlight will kill you, and he knows how much will cause you to thrive. Now, listen, believer, you can survive in any environment, but we must grow to realize that. And so sometimes God gives us shade, partial shade, or all sun, but he knows what will kill you and what will grow you. However, he is trying to grow you to realize you really, all you really need is him, and you can survive in any circumstance. But God knows where you are. God knows how fragile you are. God knows how weak you are. You are. God knows how strong you are. God knows where to put you in life. And so don't despise your circumstance. Know that the planter, the gardener, have planted you there because he knows that that is where you need to be. If Paul had to look to pleasing circumstances for contentment, he would have never written the book of Philippians. 
The whole thrust in this tiny epistle is that Paul does not depend upon external circumstances for contentment in life. When Paul wrote this letter, he was in jail. Some were preaching against him. Others were trying to make him jealous. Just about all the Christians in Rome had turned against him. This is what he's going through. He was awaiting trial in which the outcome could be his very life. He was an executed criminal of the state. No matter where you planted Paul, he would flourish and blossom because he was soaking up his joy from Jesus inside of him. And even while facing death, he would simply say this. Even, even when you put death before him, oh, I love Paul. I love Paul. Because even when you put death before him, Paul, Paul would simply say this, friends. And oh, I hope for the day that I'm able to say this very thing. To live is Christ and to die is gain. You are never going to be content until Jesus is your prized possession. The key to contentment is realizing that Jesus, do you mind if I close this sermon with the joy that's down in my heart, that the joy that's down in my soul. The key to contentment is realizing that Jesus is what you need. And when Christ is in place, everything else will make sense. I learned this from Lila. She had a little kid floor, a mat puzzle she was working on, and she began to kick and scream in frustration because she couldn't get the piece to fit where she wanted it to fit. And I came over to help her and said to her, hey, Lila, do you understand why the piece doesn't fit? She said, no, Daddy, I don't understand why the piece doesn't fit. I said, well, you're trying to take the elephant and put it in the place where the heart goes. And sweetie, until you exchange the elephant for the heart, it'll never fit in that place. Oh, I feel like preaching. I hope that I got a church with me. What I'm trying to tell you is the reason you're not content, <laughs> the reason that you're not satisfied, the reason that, that the reason that you're not rejoicing, the reason that you're not praising, the reason why you're not shouting is because you keep trying to put things in the place of God, <laughs> and there's nothing in this world. There's nothing in this creation. There's nothing on this green earth that can replace God. And until you put God in that place in your heart, there'll be nothing that can satisfy you. There'll be nothing that can give you joy. But for those of us who have put Jesus where he's supposed to be, we rejoice like no other. We got joy like no other. We got peace like no other. There's a joy down in our heart. And the reason why it is, is because it's a joy that the world didn't give us. It's a joy that the world can't take away from us. It's a joy that comes from heaven. It's a joy that comes from the cross. It's a joy that remains when the fire is hot. It's a joy that remains when injustice is in the world. It's a joy that remains when a pandemic is going on. It's a joy that that's rooted in our Savior. And I wish uh, that believers would begin to take hold of the joy that is in Jesus. We got a joy that comes from our Lord. 
And when we put him in the right place, which is in our hearts, we will find ourselves content, even in the midst of injustice, even in the midst of difficulty, even in the midst of loss. Bethel Gary, we got some trying days ahead of us. We got some heavy circumstances amongst us. 2020 has been a difficult year. Friends, remember, it doesn't matter what you're in. It matters whose you're in. And if you're in Jesus, you will flourish. You will blossom. And you will not die, but you will survive because he is able to keep you.